I told my husband, it's been a, about a week or so ago, um, that I couldn't rest. I simply could not go to sleep at night. And usually when that happens, I know God's trying to tell me something. So I kept praying, you know, God, if I'm not doing something, show me what I'm supposed to do. Because I, I want to rest, but I want to do what you call me to do most importantly. And um, one day I was reading my Bible and I was journaling. And God uh, directed my attention to something that I'd talked sort of talked about to a few people a while back and so I just started writing and I wrote this message and I told Stephen I was like you know I can finally go to sleep tonight because I, this is it this is what I did and then Sunday Robbie touched a little bit on this scripture so I know that was another affirmation that this is the word that God wanted me to um, to give tonight so I just want to pray really quick uh, Father, I just ask that you would hide me behind your cross tonight, Lord. Help me to be your mouthpiece, Lord, and let it not be my words, but your words that come forth tonight, Lord. So I just want to give you the praise and glory for this great honor and great privilege of bringing forth your word. In your holy name we pray. All right, Dave, let's, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 5. Uh, so as it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gisinaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who I'll probably refer to as Peter, just so you know, <laughs> and asked him to set out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So before this encounter with Jesus, um, Simon didn't know him. And Jesus had spent his ministry essentially doing things by himself. He didn't have his disciples. He was, um, he was going from place to place preaching and healing people. But this was Jesus on his own. And so something that we need to look back to for context uh, just right before this Jesus was baptized uh, he was led to the wilderness to be tempted uh, he was rejected in his own hometown he even said something that was really important that you know your hometown's never going to accept you so sometimes he was stirring up some things that people just weren't quite sure about but every time he did something even when he uh, he cast out a demon in his hometown even those demons knew who he was, though no one else around him did. And something that I wanted to take time to talk about was the method of fishing that they did. Because if you're like me, I like to know all the details. I know how, I like to know how things look, how they did things to get a better understanding. And so the net that they used, it wasn't a fishing pole or anything like that because they fished for the masses. So they threw out a net. And it was connected to a drawstring, so the net would fall on the bottom of the sea. They would pull the string, and it would close, and it would bring the fish up. And something really cool about this is that when they did this, when the net went to the bottom of the sea, it got dirty. It had debris. It had dirty things. It had the dead things. But they pulled them back up, and they brought them into their boat. And that's why they had to wash their nets because I kept thinking, you know, God, why did they have to wash their nets? It was in water. You'd think it would be clean, but that's what it was. But isn't it just like God to choose the people who spent their lives pulling up the dead things and the dirty things to go to the people that had dirty, lost souls to save them? Because that's who God was choosing. 
So when Jesus found them, found them, they were washing their nets out of preparation that they were going to go catch more fish. But little did they know, they were, their lives were about to drastically change in what they caught. So going on to verse 4 through 7. said, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we've caught nothing. But nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they both began to sink. Peter did this day in and day out. This was his job. If he wasn't good at this, he would have had another profession. So we know that he was a a good fisherman, and he knew what to do. So, but he still listened to this man that he'd never met before, this stranger. He took him at his word, and he did exactly what he told him to do. And something important in this, too, I've never, until recently, I've never really thought anything about the translations of your Bible. But this is really, really important to catch these small, small things. Jesus told Peter to let down his nets, plural, but he let down one. Now, most translations don't have that, but the earlier King James, they have this, and it's important because he wanted to obey Jesus, but there was this little part of him that said, you know, I'm just, I'm not quite sure why he wants me to do this, so I'll let down one instead of all of them. One net couldn't contain the fish because it was never meant to. Jesus meant for him to let down everything that they had, to take everything that they had and to listen to him. And we know that Simon understood this immediately because of verse 8. And it said, when Peter saw it, he fell down at, his, at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. So he knew that he had not done exactly as Jesus said. And that God had such a greater, greater catch waiting for him. But he still listened. He still obeyed. He did what God told him to do. Even though it went against everything that he knew, he still did it out of obedience. So the next verses, 9 through 11, says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James, John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Peter. And Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid, for now you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now another thing I like to do, I like to know definitions of words. Words are my favorite thing. That's why I like to write. And to forsake means to completely abandon something. And so it's wonderful to realize that they didn't tell Jesus, when we get back to land, we're going to sell our boats, we're going to sell our nets, and then we'll come follow you. But when they got back, they left everything they had. And if you know hobbies or um, ways of work like construction construction tools are not cheap you know the trucks aren't cheap they're not just going to walk away from their trucks one day but that's what these people did because they saw the importance of being completely obedient they abandoned their boat those fish were still in the boat and they kept walking with Jesus and this miracle it revealed the identity of Christ to Peter Because he took something that Peter knew exactly and still left him amazed. So, and going back to um, something that we talked about earlier, go to Luke 4 for me. 
It said when he had stopped speaking, wait, sorry, no, Luke 4. Do I have that one up there? If I don't, I can um, tell you what it's about. This is when Jesus delivered a possessed man um, in Nazareth. Okay, yes. It said, now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, leave us alone. What have we done to you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And they were all amazed. They said, What a word this is. For with the authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. So something that all my life I was very confused about was why Jesus stopped the demonic spirits from saying who he was. I never quite understood that. But Jesus wanted the people to have a personal revelation of who he was. He didn't want them to take the demons at their word, but he wanted each person to know him for themselves rather than the demons saying who he is and just believing them. And this is why Simon's revelational miracle is so important because nobody had to tell him who Jesus was because he knew from the miracle that when the Spirit draws you, you just know. And even before the fish were in the net, his Spirit identified Jesus because of his obedience. And because of this, he physically saw, smelled, and touched the evidence of God's hand moving. So not because he thought that Jesus was different, but because he acted upon it. And there's a difference between belief and obedience. And that's something that we sometimes get a little mixed up because we can believe that God is real and we can believe that he's mighty but if you don't obey the specific instructions that he gives us we don't treat him any differently than the people who want nothing to do with him and if that's hard to hear that probably means you're not doing what God's told you to do so for the past five years or so I've felt the call to write and from a young age God just has poured out I'm much easier understood through writing than I am speaking. But for five years, you know, this has been on my heart, and I've always journaled and written, like, small devotions and stuff like that. But two years ago, um, right after my son was born, God told me that I was called to write a book. So I started writing. Uh, I got in the Word. Uh, I knew what I was supposed to write on. I knew the exact topic. I had it written down. I've got, you know, books filled with things I've handwritten about it. But the thing was, I stopped, and I told God, I said, you know, I don't have time to do this right now. I'm trying to raise my son. I'm trying to, you know, take care of my husband. I just, I don't have time for this. But there's, there's, no, there's no difference between partial disobedience and complete disobedience. And something that, uh, and it was just miraculous because, what Simon did, Jesus, Simon didn't know Jesus. Peter did not know who Jesus was before that day. But we know him, and we still disobey him. If Simon can believe him and obey him before he knew him, so can we. And we know who Jesus is, so we have to take him at his word. We have to look at all the evidence in our Bible and see that anytime he tells us to do something, he has a reason for it. So when I quit writing, I was just you know, raising my son, doing my thing. And one day I turned on the TV and I was going to watch Joyce Meyer. And wouldn't you know, it popped up and her new book was exactly what 
I was supposed to write about. And God just dropped it in my spirit. And he said, you know, you had your chance, but you didn't take it. And that hurt. It hurts when God says things like that because you never want to give up something that God has meant for you because you know that he has blessings upon blessings attached to it. And that day I said, you know, God, I want to do what you've called me to do. So give me another chance. Give me another thing to write about because our obedience is going to produce unimaginable blessings. But we have to actively choose to live in obedience. I mean, we can look at the Israelites and see they started out on the right path. They did what God said. Everything was going great. But when their timeline didn't match up with God's timeline, they threw it all away for nothing. And they wandered around in the desert when their promised land was literally just right next to them. So don't let your stubbornness keep you wondering when your promised land is waiting on you. There is God can wait on you. God will outwait on you. I promise you. He's not going to just give up and say, you know, oh, they're too stubborn. He's not going to do that. God is never, ever going to give in if you're not doing what you're called to do. And it's not always going to be easy to obey God because the world has so many distractions and the people closest to you, they're going to be your biggest uh, distractions usually. And they might not be doing what God's called them to do, but that doesn't give you an excuse to not do it either. So let's go to Matthew 7. When we're talking about obedience, this is something that I really enjoy looking at because it's a really clear picture of how we're supposed to live. And it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many people who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So again, a lot of people might say that I nitpick things, but the wording is specific because God is specific. It doesn't say that the road to the narrow gate is small. It's not. It's, it's hard because it's hard to tell your friends, no, I'm not going to go hang out with you anymore. And it's hard to step away from the people that, you know, they want to include you, but you can't be included anymore. And it's hard to step up and do what God's called you to do when everybody else is over here and you think they have it all, but really what they have is fading. But the gate is narrow because God is a personal God. God wants to meet you at the gate and say, I love you. I'm proud of you. But the wide gate is wide because the devil wants to grab as many people possible as he can as quickly as possible. He's like the little hungry hippo game. He just wants to grab you and snatch you in. But God wants to meet you one by one at the gate because he's personal. He knows exactly what each person goes through and he doesn't treat you the way that he treats other people. He doesn't treat me in a certain situation the same way that he treats Stephen. He has a certain way for each of us that he wants to interact with us and to help us through our problems. And going back to the book that I didn't write, um, once I got back on track and I said, you know, God, I want you to show me what I'm supposed to do. And he dropped expectant faith in my lap. And I, I honestly cannot even begin to tell you the things that I've seen because of it. And, you know, being a parent, I always want to do, I always want to be the best example possible for my son. Everything that I'll do, I want him to look at me and say, that's how I want to live. 
But we have to show God respect and reverence and obedience. If we want our kids to obey us, we can't disobey God because they see that. Kids know more things than we even can imagine that they know. And if they see that we don't obey God, they're not going to have any importance in obeying Him. And leading into that, it's not just your blessing that you're fighting for in being obedient. Verse 7 said that both boats were blessed with a great number of fish. Peter and his partners. So when you obey, your blessings will spill over to your family. They'll spill over to your children, to your parents, everybody. Because of your obedience, it's not just about you. When you don't obey, you're holding something back from your family. You're holding stuff back from your kids, their breakthroughs and their blessings. Let's go to John 21. It's amazing how God does things. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples, were together. And Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. He was going back to what he knew best. And they got in the boat and they said, well, we're going to go with you. And they went out. And they spent all night fishing and caught nothing again. Now, this is three years later. This is a completely different time. And so when morning came, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples were so far away, they couldn't tell who he was. And he called out and he said, children, do you have any food? And they said, no, we've, you know, we've spent all night fishing, but we haven't caught anything. And so he said, cast cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some and so they did and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish and the disciple whom Jesus loved John said to Peter it's got to be Jesus this is exactly what happened before it's got to be him and Peter Peter loved Jesus more than anything he was so excited to see him again that he jumped out of the boat it wasn't even that far from shore but he jumped so he could swim back because he was going to get there as quick as he could and when they got um, got back they saw that a fire was a fire of coals were there fish were laid on it and bread so Jesus he did the same thing but he had he had added that little extra of the fish were already cooking for him when they got back and, but the difference in this story is the net didn't break. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he sealed the covenant between God and his children. So the net signifies the covenant between us and God. No matter how much weight goes into that net, it will never break because it is God's promise to us. And for too long, we've sat back and we've believed the lie that obeying God is simply saying that if something's meant to be, it'll be. But obedience is making it happen. If you know something's supposed to happen, you have to do something about it because God's never going to force you to do something that he's called you to do. He wants you to, absolutely. He wants more than anything for you to be obedient because he wants to give you a gift. But free will leaves it completely in your hands. So let's go to John 21, 15 through 19. And so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus pulled Peter aside and he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
he said, well, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's getting a little confused because he cut off a man's ear for Jesus because he loved him so much. He wasn't going to let anybody take him and arrest him. And so he asked him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved and he said, you know, you know all things, God, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you to where you do not wish. Signifying his death. And when he said this, he said, follow me. What Jesus was trying to show Peter was that he showed love for the Father when he did what he was supposed to do. Peter was the rock on which God's church was supposed to be built on. But yet he got caught up in things like why Jesus loved John more than others and things like that that weren't true and didn't matter. But he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And the same is for us because our obedience shows more love for God than we could ever tell anybody. You can tell someone, oh, I love Jesus, but your actions are completely different. And that just hurts God's heart more than anything. Let's go to Luke 22. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples followed him. When he had come to that place, he said, Pray that you may not enter temptation. And he was withdrawn from them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then he sweat. his sweat became drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he, come, he had come to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter temptation. This is the greatest example of obedience that there ever could be because it wasn't Jesus' burden to go on that cross. It was our burden because we are sinners and we have fallen short. But nevertheless, he did what God said. He struggled with it. He sweat blood because he was in such agony. Can you imagine being so, so stressed out that your blood was sweat? But he did exactly what God said because he knew that the reward of obedience was that he would spend eternity with us. And he wanted that more than he wanted to save himself from being crucified on the cross. So obedience is something that's not always, it's not always easy. And it's something that the world is trying to turn into something perverse and not right. But never, ever think that obedience is not right. Because obedience is the key to seeing what God wants you to do and to seeing those blessings. So before I end, um, I know it's been short and sweet, but... If you want your life to change, 
You got to check your obedience. Are you doing the things that God has told you to do? Are you are you doing every single thing and not partially doing it, but doing it to the fullest extent that God has told you? Because God's going to tell you, he's going to tell you every single detail. He's going to tell you every I to dot and T to cross, but you have to listen and you have to ask him and you have to seek his word. And if you're living if you're living your life in obedience, you're not going to look like the world. It's truly that simple. And I know a lot of people, they don't want to believe that. They want to believe that we can live like the world to show them who Jesus is. But we only show the world who Jesus is by living like him and not like the world. So we have to cast out our nets, all of our nets, not just one. And we have to let them hit that bottom. And we have to find those broken people who might be living dirty and dead lives and pull them back up in our net that we know will not break. So that's probably if you wanna come.